Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Bottoming, the podcast about LGBTQ mental health, rock bottoming and beyond. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at bottomingpod or visit bottomingpodcast.com for more content relating to each episode. We've also added a support page to direct you to the right place if you're struggling or need someone to talk to. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe. (laughs) Okay, whenever you're ready. I'm ready. Whenever you're ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Whenever, Whenever you're ready. ready. <laughs> Hello, I'm Matthew. I'm Brendan. This is season two of Bottoming. Season two. Who'd have thought it, eh? After all this time. All this time. It's been, what, two weeks since the bonus episode? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> officially, yeah. It's, been, it's been a while since season one. Mm-hmm. So officially, it's been a while. Yeah. But we are back. Loving it. Officially. Officially feeling great. Episode one. This episode is all about community. Very exciting topic. Mm-hmm. Um, community means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. To mm-hmm. us, I guess, with this episode, are we referring to the LGBT community? Yeah, I think it's it's a very weighty word. I think the LGBT community centre, as Britney Spears is big. <laughs> big fan of she loves she loves it down at the center um the lgbt community is is one of them phrases that gets thrown around a lot but what what, what does it actually mean me and you will have different ideas of what that means mm-hmm. um everyone's got a different experience of what community means to them mm-hmm. i know we've got two really fantastic guests and that we're going to speak to in this episode they all speak very differently about what they view community as um but yeah, community, it's kind of a, you've got the, the the metaphorical community, as you said, the LGBT community is 
you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, plus every everyone that fits underneath the, the, the umbrella. Yeah. And then the physical as well. So the spaces that fit within. Mm-hmm. So whether that's, you know, queer bars, community centers, um, is it a queer sports club, mm-hmm. you know, a, a bookshop, mm-hmm. coffee shop, like there's so many. The list goes on and on and on. We'll be here all night, so I'm going to stop <laughs> listing them. <laughs> but it's just, it's such a big word, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But also, there's, there's just so many different possibilities, like you say, for different types of people, which I think is, is, is a great thing. And it's something that isn't, you know, wouldn't have been seen a few years ago, maybe like 20 years ago or so. But yeah, it's quite an exciting time. But again, it's uh, quite an important topic for now in the climate we're in, especially we've just in the UK gone into national lockdown um so how have those things changed and how have people adapted to you know still reach out to a community and feel a part of a community whilst being at home um mm-hmm. so again yeah like we said we've got some really exciting conversations um to share with you but i think before we do that it's important to share what community means to both of us so do you want to Give us a bit of insight into you, Matthew. Yeah, so actually, when I was thinking about this, the thing that comes to mind is not necessarily the physical spaces. I don't know, um, we've discussed this a little bit in the past. I've, Even though I've, I've gone out to, to gay bars and stuff in the past, I've always felt uncomfortable in those spaces, and I know we want to talk about that on a future episode. Mm. Um, so that's not necessarily a place I've ever found my own community in necessarily. But... Um, the place I kind of found myself in when I was a lot younger was um, Tumblr. And I'm talking kind of back when I was in year eight, year nine. Um, what, 14, 15? Um, I was kind of closeted, was was on Tumblr, came across the right sort of LGBT blogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and just found like an online community of... of it was a, a lot of, of gay and lesbian teenagers that were into the same online content that I was and I think I became very aware of lots of online things from a really young age that I've just so I've been like tuned into ever since so I think I've and that's kind of continued like I've had Twitter for so long Tumblr kind of from back in the day as well and it's just kind of continued ever since so I'd say my my experience of community has been very much online in that sense um, and still to this day as well and I think I actually tried to, um, my dissertation at uni, I actually wrote about how gay men communicate digitally. I remember um, that. I read that, I think. Yeah. My tutor actually told me it wasn't a thing and I shouldn't write about it. He was straight. Um, oh and I tried to tried to say to him, like, how the, the network of gay men that I knew online, how they all knew each other and they would be in cities across the world and how it was all through, like, one social network and that the common connection there was that they were gay men with like pop culture connections and he just didn't understand how that was a thing and like straight friends at the time didn't understand why that was a thing they were kind of like so you're speaking to random people on the internet and i think that's it is a common thing for lots of lgbt people as well to find their community online Mm, Um, but yeah i think shout out to tumblr still (laughs) going today still use it today to get me iphone wallpapers (laughs) And thanks what to is your then? help, look where she is now. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I think it's quite interesting, actually, because straight people 
wouldn't necessarily feel the same way about the community as you did because it's very different for people who aren't necessarily minorities and aren't necessarily don't necessarily see themselves in the world um or the day-to-day world walking around just doing their own thing um it's the world's changed a lot now but even when i guess we were younger um there weren't necessarily tons of openly gay people, especially with me in a small town. And I think uh, finding a place like in the world, generally, your community is very linked to identity. And uh, like we see other people like us and uh, or people we aspire to be and we want to connect with them, right? Um, and I don't know if it was, yeah, like growing up in a small town, the religious connotations I had with being gay or my own personal like mental health issues. Um, but... I didn't necessarily want to be part of a gay community. It wasn't this thing that I kind of wanted to, you know, reach mm-hmm. out to um, because the people who were openly gay in person or on TV were these stereotypes of like flamboyance and glitter, which obviously I live for now. <laughs> but <laughs> at the time I was really ashamed of who I was and I was scared mm-hmm. um, of that. But I had a class last year um, about prejudice and stigma and um which obviously can be directed internally at who you are as well and my lecturer actually mentioned a study which looked at exposure to groups which we may want to avoid due to fear of misunderstanding or like just general fear in the study they found that people became less prejudiced when uh the longer that they, they interacted with groups that they were intimidated by um within these different pockets of the community um so with me as well, it wasn't until I actually moved away from home in the small town that I began meeting new people, um, a part of the community, the LGBT community, and I began to relax and become more comfortable with who I was. Um, mm. Obviously saying that there were some other experiences and I had uh, that I had with members of the community that weren't wholesome, let's say. <laughs> and uh, it seemed a little like nobody leaves after eight. Um but you were like my first closest gay friend. Like, I and that took time. It took a to long get to that time. stage. <laughs> what it... did you say about me when we first <laughs> when we first met? Um, I don't remember the <laughs> exact phrasing, but um, I just I thought you were a bitch. Mm. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, I was but just it... doing me thing. And of course you were. <laughs> you, you're amazing, but. That was again like what I've obviously just spoken about. It's, it's it was all internal. It was all about how I thought I was being reflected and um, what mm-hmm. other people were seeing in me. And I felt intimidated by people who were just kind of like unapologetically themselves because I was I was like jealous, but also like you know a bit angry. And it, that was just all internal. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I never thought I'd be able to have this type of relationship with. Um, a gay person i thought it would only ever be sexual or mm-hmm. not necessarily even that because of the whole religious thing i had going on back then mm-hmm. um but i have you know over the years become to love myself a lot more um with more exposure to those types of people but yeah this is purely through um online social media tv shows and documentaries um over the past couple of years i am more interested and more open to going to physical spaces and i think um but like everything it does take time um Mm -hmm. to know who you are know yourself and where you feel comfortable so Mm -hmm. um 
I think it's understanding who you are in relation to all these different things and that there's no such thing as a good gay and a bad gay. It's just that, you know, you're whoever you are. So just to contextualise a little bit about what we've just spoken about between us, um, Stonewall did a report a couple of years ago, which is titled LGBT in Britain, Home and Communities. Um, and they found that one in four LGBT people, uh, which is around 23%, attended LGBT specific venues or events in their local community at least once a month. Um, but black, Asian and minority ethnic LGBT people are twice as likely to attend LGBT specific spaces or events as white LGBT people, which is 45% compared to 22 um, however, a third of LGBT people say they never attend LGBT-specific events or venues, um, and half of LGBT people living in rural areas never attend um, LGBT-specific venues or events. Um, and of all of the, you know, the letters, the LGBT, um, bi people are most likely to say they never attend. And then, I guess, thinking about uh, how we feel within those communities... Um, they found that almost a third of LGBT people have experienced some form of discrimination or poor treatment from others in their local LGBT community. Another study from University College London found that London has lost 58% of its LGBTQ venues in the past decade. Um, And I think this raises a question kind of with the other stats as well. It's, It's the combination of we're losing really important venues for LGBT people. Mm. But then if LGBT people are not feeling comfortable in venues that are supposed to be for them, mm-hmm. are they fit for purpose? Mm-hmm. It's then obviously a much bigger conversation about prices, smaller community groups that aren't able to um, create spaces that are needed, big developers pricing people out. There's an enormous conversation there. I don't mm-hmm. think we're the people to discuss <laughs> that, but it is just, I think it's a never ending debate isn't it really it kind of absolutely always raises more questions mm. um i think a really interesting thing candy you mentioned there's we we do always say lgbt community but you talk about you know by people feeling most excluded um of all of the the people within within our community um you've got another example there's you know it was a, a couple of summers ago but um pride in london and UK Black Pride, mm-hmm. and you've got people telling um, black people that they should feel fine going to Pride in London when they're saying that they don't feel welcome. And if someone's telling you they don't feel like there's a place for them somewhere, you listen to them, you don't tell them that, you know, you don't say well, you should be because it's it, it's for you. If yeah. they don't feel welcome, that that is, is how they feel. You yeah. need to listen and, and make changes, um, which is obviously why UK Black Pride is... is is so great at the moment and is continually growing year on year mm-hmm. um the same with you know trans people at the moment and trans voices are continually being silenced no matter what anti-trans campaigners <laughs> will repeatedly say about you know the trans lobby and you know this ever growing powerful trans army that's like shutting voices down oh, um, ridiculous it's just yeah we we can't claim to be a community if if as gay people if as lesbians we're not supporting and standing up and giving space creating space for for other people in 
in in our community i've yeah. said community so many times that it doesn't <laughs> feel like a real word anymore um but yeah we just need to look out for one another and there's there's too many people trying to out for blood at the minute and we need to not allow that to happen Okay, so I'm really pleased to introduce our first guest this episode. Um, we spoke to Rob Berkeley, and he is the founder of Blackout UK. So I'm going to allow Rob to introduce himself and talk a little bit more about what he does and what they've been doing for the last year. Blackout is a collective of black queer men. Um, it was started as a website uh, because we wanted a space just to talk to each other. Um, but it's become a movement since then uh, so that we can see each other, uh, acknowledge each other, and uh, build our futures together. We started because I think we were just very frustrated. Um, frustrated at uh, a lack of progress, uh, frustrated at um, uh, an inability to, to even uh, to, to build between generations, uh, and because of the general misuse of the word community. That was used about us. Uh, so we're a group uh, who can be identified uh, by some characteristics. Um, but communities are something different. They're, they're things which are um, which recognise a, a, a shared heritage, um, but also, and most importantly, a shared future. Uh, and I don't we had the infrastructure or the or, or the means to make that happen. So, uh, so we started as a uh, as a conversation, really, um, uh, and I was looking around uh, for. Um, I, I remember being uh, as a younger man looking around, thinking, um, "What's my future like?" Uh, and uh, and who's there for me? Uh, and not really finding uh, anyone, and wanting to make sure that that didn't happen to the next generation. So, so we were really uh, concerned about uh, uh, about imposing uh, a vision of what this community is and could be. Um, instead, uh, we recognised that uh, to build a community would be about building a dialogue um, and keeping that dialogue moving. Right? So, um, never about uh, constricting people. Uh, it's about liberating them. So uh, we, uh, we, were, we were very uh, um, kind of mindful that we needed to, um, to tread carefully, um, that we needed to bring everybody that we could with us, um, and that we weren't going to be a community uh, like others, um, in part because uh, because we're unique and unique in this moment, uh, but but also because we are we're, we're seeking to create something which is uh, which is a vision of a a different kind of future, and we don't know what that looks like completely. We have some kind of inklings about uh, some of the things that that might entail, um, and so we want to put justice right at the heart of what we did, heart of what we do. We wanted to uh, make sure that we were attendant to our joy, um, so it wasn't just a kind of uh, litany of woe. Um, 
but we also uh, wanted to create a new kind of leadership uh, uh, amongst this group, so that uh, so that we didn't fall prey to some of the things that we uh, were uh, resistant to and running away from. So community had been used in the past against us. Uh, often we were told uh, that to be black you couldn't be gay. Uh, and therefore, uh, there was a kind of a notion of uh, fear of community that we just didn't want to perpetuate, um, and and it, it just felt more exciting to not write a to write a plan, um, but to really just just to listen and to be and to and to feel we weren't going to stop being us, um, we weren't going to stop being black, we weren't going to stop being queer. And so a community is as community does. So we, uh, we thought about uh, legacies, what, what, what we had inherited. Um, so we put on uh, quite early uh, in, our, uh, in our journey um, an event at the National Portrait Gallery uh, celebrating uh, the black queer man that we could find on the walls of the National Portrait Gallery, um, Berto Pasuka. We think there are some others, um, uh, but uh, but Berto, um, who founded the Ballet Negra uh, in in the late forties, uh, was somebody who was at risk of being forgotten. So uh, we had a, a fantastic event. Uh, you know, hundreds of people took over the gallery for uh, for the evening to celebrate us. Um, last year, uh, hosted the, the first uh, Black Men Who Brunch, uh, which is a, uh, a monthly event uh, which goes from uh, kind of uh, workshops and, and talks uh, through to um, uh, a meal and a bit of a party, just because we need to see each other. Um, and, uh, and in the corners of nightclubs wasn't the wasn't getting the kind of conversation moving um and we we were finding that it was finding it was becoming difficult to ask people to trust uh another new initiative if they never met anybody so we we, we met we've hosted uh, events on uh, mental health uh, really just starting to unearth some of the issues and have a community conversation um and we've I hope developed a um, uh, a core, so that if people are looking around, they can see that there are uh, a group of, of black queer men who are committed uh, to us. Over the last year, we've had to uh, kind of reassess uh, how we're how we're organised as a group. Uh, one of one of the things that we wanted to do in uh, in March uh, and April uh, was to publish uh, some research. Uh, we'd, we'd actually uh, done uh, what, I, what I think is the first bit of research that hasn't been driven by sexual health on on this group um, and allowed people to talk about their citizenship and their sense of belonging and their uh, and the notion of uh, what makes them uh, but what uh, what drives their uh, engagement with others in society we published uh, finally that that research in November. I, I think 
the, the research says some really interesting things about what this, uh, what this group needs. Um, and so it's, a, it's formed a blueprint for what we do next. I see the potential uh, in, the, in this group. And I'm really excited about uh, the smaller interactions that we've had uh, and want to grow them. Um, so I'm really keen on us having a, uh, a physical space um, or, or a series of pop-up physical spaces, uh, actually, um, that take uh, pride, that, that kind of pride moment uh, and, and stretch it out so, so that it actually uh, uh, becomes more relevant uh, than a Saturday afternoon in the middle of town. And I want to see those places and those spaces in the heart of black communities. Uh, uh, because uh, there's, there's so way too much silence and way too much denial. Um, and uh, one of the things that it would be great to bequeath, since I'm, I'm not going anywhere yet, but <laughs> one of the things it would be great to bequeath uh, would just be a, a sense of confidence and a sense of... of, of, of visibility not away from our communities but at the heart of those communities. I'd also, uh, one of the things we're also uh, planning is uh, developing a set of online courses uh, relatively um, relatively simple to do now because uh, everyone's used to the idea of an online course um, but just where we pass on some of the knowledge. Um, we, one, of, one of our challenges now, I think one of the things that you'll uh, I'm sure will have been discussing has been we don't have an infrastructure for community. Um, uh, we have uh, things that we've borrowed, uh, but we don't have one of our own. So, how a, uh, a 50 year old talks to a 20 year old uh, in our communities is that there isn't you know, kind of a, a, a parental relationship or, a, or, 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 or an uncle style relationship so um and and sometimes those uh those conversations are very fraught with with challenge and can uh, can be exploitative on, on both sides so uh we want to find a way of um uh of not discarding that knowledge um but also of not privileging uh the the, uh, the elders knowledge over uh, those of uh, younger people so uh uh, program of reverse mentoring we hope will come out of uh, those online courses again while we're working with a what might appear to be a, a, a niche group uh, amongst the kind of lgbtq broader community just uh, just imagine if a room full of uh, black queer men is so diverse already right so it, you know the people's experience of uh, distance from migration or uh, you know where they've grown up, or their, or their class position, or their, um, uh, or their whether they're digital native or not. I mean, it, it, all of these things are, are going on in, the, in those spaces, and it's been really um, one of one of the things that happened at, at the brunches that we did have was just a kind of spark of recognition that while we, while it might feel like this is a narrow group, actually the, the uh, the expression, the, the, the levels of understanding, the, 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 what we have to learn from each other, um, 
yeah, just seeing people's eyes, it was kind of like, wow, wow this is, this is going to be exciting. I, th I think, uh, this, is, this is difficult for me to, to admit, having kind of <laughs> a, a career that, that, that's been based on lots of the digital side of BBC um, in the past. Um, but when there's a uh, when there is a, a established relationship, uh, I think digital works really well. Um, where there isn't, and people are still uh, they don't know what they don't know yet. Um, it's it's actually really challenging. So, uh, and I think it's difficult to divorce. Uh, what we hope to build as a, a really positive digital space from some of the uh, less positive spaces for people. What what is positive that has emerged has been about the relationships that have been built, uh, and we've held uh, some space for those relationships to happen. Um, so uh, it's been really great to see a, a whole swathe of people uh, take the reins really and 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 and, uh, and develop their their own. Uh, work, uh, feeling more connected to, to each other, uh, so that's improved that work. When people tell me that, you know, they wouldn't have made it through the last year without uh, the relationships that were established through Blackout, I'm, I'm, I have to listen to that. Uh, when uh, people tell me that uh, seeing uh, seeing me struggle to get things right uh, made it easier for them to go and deliver some other, some, some things. Um, uh, because they they realised that actually, if Rob can if Rob can do it, then so can they. Um, the the times people have told me that they uh, uh, they now have a space for a relationship with somebody who wouldn't have been in their peer group at the nightclub, or um, that that they they now see that there is a future. Um, a lot of the a lot of younger people were telling us at the start of this and through the research that uh, they didn't know where they fit in our society. Uh, so seeing uh, an older generation has been quite helpful for them. Um, uh, a lot of <laughs> older people have felt that they were on the scrap uh, and, um, and didn't feel like they had anything relevant to say uh, to, to, younger, uh, to younger guys. And there have been some people uh, some performers in particular, actually, who uh, who never thought that they might be supported by the by the community closest to them, uh, by other black queer men. Uh, they they tend to pitch their work over their heads or, or or around them because they just didn't feel that there was anywhere they could go to get that support. So uh, so yeah, so some some things are working. I think. Um, Audrey Lord says it, says it really powerfully when she says, uh, "Without community, there is no liberation." But it 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 only feels real for me uh, in some of the spaces that Blackout has uh, has created uh, over the last couple of years. If it's a collective moment, if it's if it's uh, something which everyone gets an opportunity to report back on, everybody gets an opportunity to shape.
Rob's plan for Blackout UK sounds really exciting. We really can't wait to see what uh, he does with the group moving forward when we can reopen physical spaces. Um, but in the meantime, obviously, we are currently in a national lockdown and we don't know how long this is going to last. Um, so fingers crossed, these online communities will be here to stay. Which leads us into our next interview with Michael and Malis to talk about the online community they've built with We Create Space. So we're a non-profit community organisation. Um, we kind of describe ourselves as a, an LGBTQ wellbeing and empowerment platform. And essentially we're, we're on a mission to make self-care and self-discovery a priority in the life of every queer person um, by providing really bespoke workshops and virtual retreats that aim to equip individuals with the tools and techniques that they need for managing their own mental health and discovering their own personal growth journey. My name is Melis. Um, I'm a transformational coach and consultant and that's just by trade generally but then also within the we create space space so to speak I'm a program director and basically what I work um, with the capacity in which I work is um, around curating the content, the structure of the workshops, and the flow in itself. And a lot of what we do is connecting with collaborators um, that specialize within um, the within the field, I would say, of well-being, mental health. We look at some inter- integrative approaches to tackling the current issues that, um, or even the struggles or the questions that arise within the, the space. And because we work primarily with the uh, LGBTQ individuals, it's about, for us, curating and finding a flow of energy and understanding that, you know, there is synergy in everything that we do. So Michael and I are quite invested in that. Um, so I would say in terms of the journey before launching, it's been, yeah, it's been a really interesting one um, because the question in itself and, and the subject and I would say even the content of well-being is something that was a priority, became an urgent priority for me at some point in my life. Um, and I found myself on this path um, not by accident because I needed to understand exactly where I stood with my own mental health and even finding the language for that. And because of my background coming from, you know, a West African, you know, kind of community and not being from the UK, arriving in the UK and having all of these tussles and struggles that I faced, um, addiction was something that was primary in terms of coping. Um, And so when I entered the space and was ready to ask for help myself, I realized that there was a lot that could be done um, for individuals within the community, not only just BAME people, but also um, marginalized groups, and that includes the LGBTQ community. So previously, um, in other jobs, I was working for a nonprofit um, that specialized in addiction and crime. I also worked for a kind of worldwide organization that tackled um, uh, addiction and, you know, associated disorders. So we did a lot of um, events and initiatives that allowed people, businesses, future leaders to push for courageous conversations when it comes to mental health and well-being um, and also my coaching that I do. So I would say that, you know, the journey itself was inspired by all of my life experience and primarily, primarily as well intersectionality, as I mentioned. And um, I guess, yeah, the journey to launching was really exciting. And because it also happened during COVID, it was a powerful reflective time for me to understand what it is what it is exactly that I'm doing specializing focusing and finding my purpose and um, 
yeah, it just aligned because again, Michael and I knew each other for a long time and it was just a privilege to serve alongside one another because we had similar um, experiences, um, even though they may diverge sometimes around the, our own lived experience, but we understood what we wanted to see um, and what we wanted was also something that included everyone and created um, spaces for conversation. And yeah, we got to launch the project, project in that way. And um, yeah, never really looked back since. And it's not been that long, so <laughs> I can't you know, push too, too much further in the future, but so far it's been super exciting to, to be part of this. My name is Michael and by profession I, I do quite a few different things. Um, I guess uh, I would class myself as a bit of an entrepreneur now but uh, also a mental health and well-being advocate. Uh, I do that for a charity in the UK called McHugh Mental Health and essentially that means I just go into businesses and um, discuss the importance of uh, having the conversation around mental health but also prioritising well-being. Um, and I started uh, We Create Space uh, this year, so 2020, but um, I actually started uh, my business about a couple of years ago on the back of my own personal burnout, and I had to take some time off um, from kind of physical, emotional, mental exhaustion, and realised that I'd never once prioritised my own mental health ahead of my career and that realisation was quite shocking to me and I couldn't understand how that had happened really given, you know, I would class myself as an educated person but when it came to understanding my body and what it needed I felt like I was a, a newbie and um, I, once I realised that I my I guess my my health was so intrinsically linked to my creative abilities, um, which was the profession that I was in. Um, I kind of wanted to do what I could to educate other people and give other people the the information that I had. Um, when I ended up leaving my job uh, to recover. From this burnout, um, I had to, yeah, take some time off and I had to leave London. I had to leave behind everything that I had uh, constructed. So the the lifestyle that I'd kind of got accustomed to, all my friends, the material possessions. And um, I found myself not really knowing who I was without all of those things. And I had it wasn't the first time that I guess I'd found myself in this self-destructive situation um I had previously kind of I'd been living with an eating disorder for about 10 years and also dealt with other addictions but um they hadn't quite had this uh this the same effect where I was forced to deal with it um and really, I I had to, yeah, not just take some time off to recover, but also figure out how I got myself into this situation and how to avoid getting into it again. And really what 
came to the surface was a lot of unprocessed struggles uh, from growing up and really kind of instilled beliefs and behaviors from from childhood um, and also that had led to like professional behaviors at work um, that really I guess uh, brought to light certain characteristics um, so for me for example I had become very used to using achievement um, and success as a, a form of as a way to get validation um, I guess it gave me this sense of value and self-worth that I really didn't have as a child uh, and I, I didn't really realize that self-worth couldn't be based on external factors it, it has to come from within but inside I was still I was still wrestling with who I was um, and that's I guess why identities you know at the core of all of our programs because I really believe that understanding identity is key to unlocking authenticity and, and that's what we're all searching for really right now so yeah self-care and self-discovery were integral for me in transforming my own life and it became clear that yeah I needed to understand the why first but also take responsibility for for the part that I play in shaping the world and I guess only once we do that are we able to really make a, a wider impact in not just society but within our community as well. Just to give you a top line, you know, you have people who want to come in just because they want to understand themselves a bit deeper and contextually as well, I think right now, because of the current challenges we face, all of the worlds that we have either in our heads or even externally are all colliding. And that taps into what are my aspirations, personally, professionally, um, understanding, getting clarity on purpose, because I think now we're either, especially 2020 being the world that it is and the time that it's been, we've all been somehow called to activate something. You know, and so people are asking, well, where's my, my profession kind of leading me to where am I actually creating impact, really? And we have people who actually want to develop a greater understanding of their own motivations or even sometimes the barriers that set them back. Um, and we talk a lot about these internal states like self-worth, body image, but they're so big in themselves. And what we try to do and why necessarily I think people come into inter contact with us is that. We try to simplify them and just understand and find tools and techniques that allow more introspection. And also we include mindfulness, which is, I think, quite, again, another buzzword that we all hear about. So like mindfulness, mindfulness, be mindful. But again, what does that look like? So we have people who somehow, I would say, have practiced to a certain extent, you know, personal development tools, people who've been in therapy, but somehow... Um, coming back to these key principles of, okay, we're all together, we're in the space where we're sharing, we're talking about um, struggles that we all face to a certain extent allows that um, common ground. And I think the importance of community in that, for me, it's, it's, it's been quite a, a, a powerful one because I myself as a professional have seen you know, the impact of community in itself in my own healing, when I started my journey and, you know, 12 steps and 
rehab in other groups. And one of the most impactful things was understanding what being seen and feeling heard was like. And somehow that happens in a, such a powerful way within a group. And even in the, in the word itself, community talks about common unity, if you break it down. And when it comes to a societal level, it's about people finding that common ground that lays at the core of the thing that makes them be together. But in, this, in, in talking about we create space, it's like there's a segment there within the lived experience, whether it's individual, even collective, for the LGBTQ community. And within that space, people get to spotlight their own resources. And because we talk about self-care, self-care is about resources. It's about resources within and without. And, you know, in a way, it's kind of integral for people to see themselves within, you know, in others. And I think that's why the community aspect is so important, because there is not only the like-mindedness of whether it's professional, people find themselves from, you know, professional groups or, you know, age groups or even, you know, identity groups that they kind of associate with. But it's also about lived experience, individual and collective. And I think when that happens and where there's pockets that allow people to speak on that, um, it tends to create more growth. Um, and I think in the time, again, it's, I keep going back to COVID, but it, it feels like all of these pockets and networks have shifted and changed and transformed themselves. And because now we're all living virtually, we get to interact with people that we would have never connected with. And I think, yeah, that's quite a powerful thing. And even, let's say, you know, a bonus, you know, to, a way to look at it, to leverage the difficulties that we're facing right now and say, but what do we have? And I guess, yeah, we get to put people together and, and share their resources and learn from one another. Um, and that's kind of where we, we would say we would really see the impact. And for us, it happens in breakout groups and in, you know, group sharing spaces. And, and yeah, it's, it's been so humbling to, to see how that gets used and, um, yeah, therapeutically or even just in terms of empowerment and, and um, development as a community. And these workshops offer kind of... Uh a unique opportunity, I guess, for participants to openly share and learn from each other's past experiences without judgment. And um, I guess part of that is, yeah, building resilience together in the face of our collective adversity. Um, most recently, I think it was around November, we had a workshop that was called White Change and it was around exploring the therapeutic benefits of songwriting. And what happened is that at the end of the workshop, one of the participants actually shared something with us. And he talked about the fact that it was his birthday on that day. And, you know, the process was to go back into the past, um, look at the present and look at the future and see what kind of change we want to bring about. And he was particularly reflective around his own birthdays and how this year had been so tough and the changes he tried to make on himself and the struggles that he'd faced with fitness, with everything. And so, you know, it took a three hour process for him to kind of arrive at this almost like club banger that, you know, reflected his own version of self-empowerment. And I remember Michael and I kind of like reading this and thinking, oh my God, you know, because sometimes for us, you know, we, all we do is just put the thing, put the content together and then we hope for the best. Um, because you can never call these things. And again, it's so important to highlight that we try our best to bring content that's already been explored, but in a more playful way. 
And using songwriting is another way of reflecting on your own experiences. And when we look back at the lyrics and, you know, how he felt about himself afterwards, it was just insane to think that just taking three hours of your own time to reflect or find another way of reiterating your own story that you have about yourself in your head, but maybe doing it with music in the background might change your own perspective of your life. Um, and so, you know, this individual himself is actually now one of the collaborators that we have coming up in January. So that that was just, you know, quite insane. And the other one that really touched me was during the Me, My Body and I workshop, we had this exercise where we asked participants to go back to, you know, the picture before the edit, the picture before the, you know, the picture that never makes the cut, basically. And the one and that look at that picture and reflect back on that individual and give them tell them, you know, what they may be missing, tell them that they're loved, tell them that they're seen and they're appreciated. And that in itself, it's, it's kind of hard, I think, you know, from just all of us even to go back into that bin, you know, the, the, the deleted box and look at the ones that we, the parts of ourselves that we almost discarded. And this individual literally broke down and said, you know, until this day, I hadn't really realized how much neglect I had placed on myself and how much, how negative my self-talk had been. And this was an individual who came from, you know, uh, a quite a, a diverse background and faced racism and faced a lot of rejection within the community. And, you know, how that had, how, how he had internalized that was quite apparent. And because the, he got to share that um, and be seen by other people, he, were, he was able to release that. And for us, it was just kind of even touching, even as I say this, because to see someone shed tears about themselves and be so intimate with strangers is another mind-boggling thing. Um, and there's many, many more, but you know, just off the top line of what happened over the last few months, that those were the ones that really stood out. Next year, we're starting um, with a bit of a crowd favorite, you know, and this is a workshop that's called What's My Purpose? Um, and with this one, it's, it's primarily you know, about recalibrating um, ambitions and values and really working and bringing a new perspective from a, looking at your life from a place of what's possible. And that, you know, is taking place in January on the 16th. Um, and we're actually moving afterwards with um, another workshop that's called Play Yourself at the end of Jan. And this is like a, a, a favorite question that I think Michael and I have always kind of wrestled with is this, you know, idea of the critical self. And we wanted to have a bit of more of a spin on that. And looking at you know the antagonist and the protagonist and actually giving them life and saying well because this whole self-development journey healing journey it's a lifelong thing and we're not by any means making any promises and saying come here and you'll be cured however could there be a playful way of you know giving life to the voices that are in your head you know the in, in, inner critic but also thinking how can you now be the own hero in your story um, and with this, with this one, we wanted to use um, script writing as another tool to bring about this dialogue and, and get people to really share and, again, create another way of looking at um, their internal story, their internal narrative. Well, it is really good to be back. I don't know about you, but I am pleased to be back. Um, a big thank you. <laughs> Let me say it like you mean it. <laughs> I do. I'm happy. I'm really happy, honestly. Um, a big a big thank you to Rob, Michael and Malus um, for taking the time to speak to us this episode. 
Um, if you want to find out more about Blackout, you can visit blkoutuk.com, so blackoutuk.com, <clears throat> or you can go to at blkoutuk on Instagram. And for We Create Space, you can go to wecreatespace.co and on Instagram at wecreatespace.co. And thank you for listening. Um, thank you. We really love you for that. What you can do to spread the love even more is if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, it really helps us get in front of the right people and to, to new people that might uh, find this podcast beneficial. Um, so, yeah, that would be really, really helpful. We will be back on the 27th of January with our next episode. Two um, weeks. Two weeks from now. Two weeks' time. So, yeah, subscribe so you can make sure that comes straight into your podcast inbox. Eel. But I think it is more important than ever to remember that you are doing amazing, sweetie. You're doing amazing, sweetie. Take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 